0: hi there and welcome back to the energy sector heroes podcast my name is michelle fraser and every week i will speak with incredible people who share their lessons experiences and stories from their time spent in the energy sector hi there and welcome back again to this week's episode if you're new to the show then please take a second to subscribe and even consider sharing the show with just one other person This week, I am joined by Sean Hogue. Sean is an incredible Senior Vice President of Operations and a freelance writer also. Sean, would you like to introduce yourself, please?
1: Yeah. Good morning, Michelle. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. As you said, I am Senior Vice President of Operations at Baker Marine Solutions. This is a marine consulting and engineering firm.
0: So how did you get started off in the energy sector?
1: I was I was fortunate to, to find my way early in my career into the energy sector. I come from Alberta, which is a landlocked province in Canada. And I had an amazing opportunity when I was 18 years old to sail around the world on a tall ship. So I, I did that over the next year. And, and by the time I came home, I realized that people got paid good money to travel the world by sea. And so I... I got the bug. I went back to school, came out with my watchkeeping mate's license, and came down to the Gulf of Mexico and started working in the offshore oil field.
0: Okay. So, where in the world have you traveled then?
1: Well, that that first year, we started in San Diego, went down to Mexico, and then west across the Pacific, around Australia, up up into the Mediterranean, and, and up around into the North Sea. Uh, later, when I, I started sailing, as I mentioned, I started down in the Gulf of Mexico, but sailed all over the world. I ended up sailing as master mariner on a pipe lay construction vessel in the South China Sea. It was my final ship before I came ashore.
0: Wow, that is incredibly amazing! Actually,
1: it's it's I've had a good run. Absolutely, I got into it for the travel and adventure,
0: and I've had
1: plenty of both. Fortunately,
0: well, that sounds amazing, actually. So have you always wanted to travel with your, with your job then?
1: I suppose so. I, I mean, when I was younger, I don't think I really knew what I wanted and was fortunate to have uh, have an experience that really opened my eyes to the, what was available and what was out there in the world. <laughs> and to be honest, ever since that point, I've had, uh, I've had a very clear vision of, of where I was going and what I wanted to do.
0: Okay, excellent. So who was your role model during your career and why did you find them inspirational?
1: I, I would say early in my life, it would have been my grandfather. My my family's Dutch. That, that side of the family is Dutch. And so they came over from Holland during the war, lived in, an, in a number of different places before settling down in Canada, but he always worked for Shell. And so that was, uh, <clears throat> that, that always figured uh, into my life. He used to take me around a little bit to some of the oil leases and we would you know, see the pump jacks, and he would he would show me around and and talk about what he was doing. So, I suppose I always figured I would end up in the oil field in in some way, shape, or form.
0: Okay, excellent. So, what is the most challenging thing that you find about your current role?
1: Hmm. Currently, there's there's a lot going on these days with the energy transition after the downturn, which which was hard. Things are starting to come back, you know. We're we're getting busier and busier, month after month, which is great. So finding qualified personnel is is just a, a massive challenge, always, continuously. I do a lot of interviewing, um, hiring, testing, coaching of of new per- prospective marine surveyors. So that that takes up a lot of time, and it's it's definitely a bit of a I don't want to say revolving door, but it's, um, it's an ongoing activity. It, it requires, requires constant, uh, constant upkeep and, you know, just, just takes a lot of time. So I'd, I'd say personnel is probably the biggest challenge currently.
0: Okay. So why do you think that it's challenging to get d- personnel?
1: I, I mean, the type of work that we do as far as the, the marine consulting side or the marine surveying side of the business really requires a pretty particular skill set and you're looking for a very uh, you're looking for somebody that's in a in a very specific place in their career ideally you want somebody that that's had a fairly successful career at sea your preference is for somebody that that has actually sailed or you know achieved the level of master mariner or chief engineer and has sailed sailed like that for a few years but is still young enough that they're they're willing to come ashore and work hard, kind of learn, learn a bit of a new skill set and just really take to that that type of work. So you're looking for somebody in kind of the, the 38 to 45 year old range that, that has been accomplished in their work and that is looking for a bit of a change. They want to they want to make that move ashore. Okay. If you add on to that, day rates are coming back up. You know, so some of the guys that we have, they end up going back to sea because the because the money's really good. so that's that's always just a challenge that we have to deal with.
0: so what specific skills do you need to be working in the marine survey?
1: we We run everybody through an internal training program, and there's there's kind of there's always a familiarization period. but realistically, you you need to come equipped with the vocabulary of the industry. You need to have experience on ships so that you understand what you're looking at. And an operational background in the in the energy industry is always beneficial because we do a lot of witnessing of, of offshore operations, heavy lifts, installations, things of this nature. And if if you've never done that type of work offshore, it's going to be very difficult to come in and say whether it's, it's right or wrong when you're witnessing it on, on behalf of a third party.
0: Okay, so say if you were going to a young graduate or a younger engineer was wanting to come in and work with you, how would they get to do that then?
1: What well, it, like I say, we do have we have a, a mentoring program, and we do have some younger employees that are are fresher to the industry. it It really depends. we We have a number of different business lines or business models kind of within the organization. So marine warranty surveying is one piece, and this requires engineering reviews of documentation and reviews of procedures and processes that we then go out and, and verify on site. So it's it's fairly easy to coach somebody or mentor them through that process, you know, and, and uh, stay there, I guess, looking over their shoulder to make sure they get things right or have them tag along so that they, they can see these operations. So as far as as far as people that are looking to get into surveying, there are training programs uh, available out there that can give you the, the basis of knowledge that's needed. But we do focus primarily in upstream oil and gas currently. And so if you're going to fly offshore, you need to have all the certifications and you really need to have have the right experience on the type of vessels that we're that we're dealing with.
0: Okay. So how would somebody get that type of experience then
1: work for 20 years in the oil field
0: <laughs> if you're a young if you're a young graduate and i know that because i was when i was a young graduate you can't really go offshore until you're much older or that used to be the rule when i was much younger so how would you what would what would your advice be to someone that w- wanted to come and work in your industry
1: well you you have to keep in mind that my background is is as a mariner, so I, I I sailed for I think 18 years professionally before I came ashore, and I, I started at the bottom and I worked my way up up to a master's position. So I'm always looking at things through the lens of of a seafarer, and and for a seafarer, there are there are jobs aplenty right now. If if you come out of the of the academy and you want to work in the oil field, there is lots of opportunity to to get in and start to do that type of work. As far as from an engineering standpoint, uh, that's, that's a little bit different. And it's, it's a little bit outside of my wheelhouse, to be honest.
0: Okay. So if you were going to hire someone, what would you look for?
1: I look for uh, operational experience, a, a good eye for observation, and good writing skills. Okay. Essentially, the work that we do is giving written advice or, or doing consulting with the ultimate product being a written report. Everything that we do is advice given with a written report. So when I bring somebody new on board, we typically have them shadow somebody else and then we have that person shadow them so that they can generate the report. And and you're never really sure if it's gonna work or not until you get that first piece piece of writing back because technical writing has to be very clear It has to be very concise, unambiguous, because you have to always remember that one day if there's an incident offshore, that report could end up in the courtroom as evidence. So everything needs to be, it needs to be right, you know, and and some people have a natural talent for that and some people, some people don't.
0: Okay. But I think report writing, is it something in your opinion that can be learned or do you have to have a natural flair for that?
1: I think it can be improved. You know, I've I've been writing for years. I write. I do a little bit of freelance writing in my off time for Maritime Executive Magazine, various industry publications. And that's just always been something that that I I've done for myself. I've always enjoyed writing, but so that's something that I strive to improve because it's something that I care about. Other people, they They just, they don't have that drive, I guess, to, to improve their writing. So it really just depends on that personal motivation. I do think it can be taught. Absolutely. I do quite a bit of coaching with the guys on, on what the writing is supposed to look like. We have examples of what good looks like versus what bad looks like. So, you know, everybody can improve. It just depends on how badly they want to improve.
0: Okay. Excellent advice. So is there anything you still want to achieve in your career?
1: Hmm. That's a good question. When I first went to sea, I came, I came away with that initial experience with the ultimate goal of one day sailing as captain of my own ship. And, and I achieved that after, I think it was 12 years, 12, 13 years later, I, I got my Master Mariner's license and I ultimately received my own command. And, and that for that entire time period, that was always my North Star. So there was, there was never really any any question of what to do, you know. I was always just working in that direction. Um, in 2014, I came ashore and I moved into a marine surveying role. And I knew that I wanted to ultimately end up in business. I've always been interested in in just business operations as well. And and I think I've achieved that. You know, I'm, I'm very happy in the position that I am and uh, really enjoy the work. So so what the next step looks like, I'm I'm not really sure. I'm pretty content just to continue doing what I'm doing for the time being.
0: No, that's really nice. It's really, really good to hear that you're you're really happy and content with what you're doing now. So have you ever encountered any career disasters and how have you handled them?
1: I mean, everybody's went went through hard times. I, I think one that jumps out at me is is the only time I was fired. I, I got ran off, as they call it down here. And it was it was a result of a lack of understanding the organization of a new company who came on board and bareboat chartered our vessel or chartered our vessel. So we, we had changed locations. We'd been on board this. I've been on board this ship for about two years, I think at the time. And we had these new clients come on board and... I ended up getting into it with, with the new deck foreman because I was sailing as chief mate at the time. And I'd, I'd been in charge of the deck for, for a number of years now. And all of a sudden I had somebody new and I was trying to give him some advice or trying to help him out a little bit. He wasn't having it. We ended up getting into it. And it turns out that his father was the superintendent and I was uh, I was not welcomed back my next trip. So I, I learned a couple of lessons there. But uh, the interesting thing about it is that by freeing myself up from that position, that's what ultimately opened the door for the opportunity to sail as master on my own vessel. So I suppose one door closed and, and the other door opened.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Because sometimes I f- I feel like that that what's meant to be will be, I think.
1: And I think everything happens for a reason. And I I think looking back at it, I could have been a little bit more aware of the, the onboard politics in a, in a changing situation. And so that's that's definitely a lesson I've taken forward with me and um, I try to be mindful of now.
0: Okay, excellent. What is your zone of genius? What are you most good at?
1: I suppose it depends who you ask. <laughs> um, I I do think I'm good at written communication. That That's something that I just really enjoy. It's something I really focus on. So when it comes to comes to the business world, I take a lot of energy from designing and implementing business process and really really getting those things moving smoothly, you know, putting the right the right parts in place. And uh yeah, and and I I just love doing it, you know. So I I take a lot of energy from that and I'd like to think I'm good at it.
0: Excellent. So what is your most favorite thing about your job?
1: Well, it like I said before, I Got into this line of work for travel and adventure. And thankfully, I still get a fair bit of each. We're we're recording this. I'm here at my home office in Houston. So I, I spend most of my days here, but our head office is, o- is over in Louisiana. So I spend a lot of time in Louisiana each month. And I'm fortunate to get to travel around to various conferences and you know for meetings or or what have you. So spend quite a bit of time on an airplane, which I really enjoy. It's not as fun since COVID, but it's, uh, it, it's getting better again. And yeah, I just, I really enjoy the travel. I enjoy meeting new and interesting people. I love going to conferences and seeing what new technology we're coming out with and just uh, really staying on top of the industry. I, I think the energy industry is, is changing and, or it's, it's evolving. And uh, I like being a part of that. So it's, yeah, it's an excellent career.
0: Excellent. So, in a working environment, who do you depend on the most?
1: Hmm. I, I suppose it would be person on the front line of, of whatever the work is that, that's being performed currently. We put a lot of people into the field, and quite often they are they're by themselves. You know, they're they're on a project, but as far as representing the company, they're the only person there. So, you really have to have a lot of trust. In in the skills in the competency of that person, and and trust that they're going to be doing the right thing, both for you, for the project, uh, for the client who we're representing, and so that's uh, yeah I, I rely on them to get it right. I've also got a fantastic team in the background. We do a lot of preparatory work. If we're going to send somebody out for for some type of attendance, we. We do a lot of the legwork ahead of time so that we can send that person out as equipped as possible. So by the time they get there, they can focus on the, on the work and not, you know, the administrative part of the
0: job. Okay. So how do you build up that trust with a new employee?
1: I'm an effort. (laughs) There, there's a lot of feedback that takes place I, I kind of alluded earlier to what, what it looks like to mentor or train somebody new into the organization, but realistically, that never stops. I talk to almost every person after every job. We get feedback. We we have some feedback processes built into our systems that allow for opportunities for improvement to be highlighted, you know, complaints or concerns, whatever that is, all, all these things get addressed. And we we try to take as much feedback as possible from the people on the front line, because the the reality of I think most business is that the people that develop the processes and the procedures and make the rules are quite often the people that are the furthest removed from the work that actually takes place so if you don't have some type of feedback mechanism that comes right from in the field then then you're not going to be you're not going to be able to do a good job supporting those people so that's yeah that that's what we do just a lot of conversation a lot of safe space for feedback You know, I want people to tell it like it is. And then if we know about a problem, then we can deal with it. But if people are scared to come and talk to you, then you're not going to hear about the problems in the first place and nothing is going to get better.
0: Okay, so how do you manage your team so that you they know that you are more approachable? Well, we we
1: all talk a lot and and I tell them, I say, look, this is. If something goes wrong, for example, or we we received a complaint or something didn't go the way it was supposed to, we just sit down and talk about it, and i I always start the conversation and say, look this is this is a blame free zone. you know, if anybody here is responsible for this thing going wrong, I'm probably the first one in line, right? So let's talk through it and let's let's figure out what the solution is so that next time we can prevent that thing from happening again okay, yeah i I call it. Uh, I've got a concept, I call it expectation setting. And in my mind or in my experience, anytime something doesn't go exactly as planned or something something goes wrong, somewhere in there, there was a lack of setting the appropriate expectations, either for the person who's going to go out and do the work. Maybe they weren't instructed properly. Maybe they weren't given the right tools, a lack of expectations with the client. Maybe they didn't understand what their obligation in this process was or what the ultimate deliverable was was going to be. So I I try to do a lot of expectation setting both on on both sides of that fence.
0: Okay. Is that quite hard to do then?
1: The hard part is is to remember to do it continuously while you're stuck in the weeds of of trying to get the work done. Right? We've got, you know, you get 300 emails a day and you're you're trying to move these projects forward and manage all these different people in reality, this expectation setting just takes time. You know, it it takes a lot of one-on-one conversation, you know, or carefully crafted emails or, or whatever that looks like. It just takes a lot of time. And sometimes you, you don't feel that you have the time because there's something else that takes priority. But in reality, at the end of this whole process, that should have been the priority the entire time because a little bit of Pre-work on the front end is what's going to going to stop uh, a big disaster on the back end. So, okay, yeah, just just being mindful of that and making sure you've got enough time to do it built into your schedule.
0: Okay, excellent. So, how do you spend your typical working week?
1: Well, it, it depends if I'm home or if I'm traveling. Obviously, things are a little bit fluid when you're on the road, but I'm at home now. Working from home has been been amazing. I used to work in an office when I first came came ashore, and it was it was good too, but I, I do love working from home. Wake up, have coffee, I do a little bit of writing, I get the kids up, make breakfast, lunches, I get them off to school, and then I start my work day. So there's I always start with a block of what I call inboxing, which is is running through my my email. I try to set two very specific time periods in the day where I do that because we do get a high volume of email. so you can easily spend your whole day just in reactive mode. So I'll, I'll run through that, set up the day, you know, review the goals for the quarter and see what it is that we're supposed to be working on. And then I probably spend two to three hours on the phone, either with the team or with clients. And uh, yeah, just just making sure that the projects are going smooth, that everybody's taking care of, the reports are getting out the door on time, and supporting everybody where it's needed. Removing roadblocks that, that are stopping my team from doing the work that they need to do. So basically, I'm a professional juggler.
0: And do you find that easy, though, to be a professional juggler?
1: Um, I, I, I think it speaks to my skill set. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the key you can't be just jumping from one thing to another constantly. I shut my phone off sometimes. Oh, my boss doesn't listen to this one, but uh, I'll shut my email program down and I'll focus on the work that needs to be done for for an hour. But And because I find once you turn your email back on, it's all still there anyways, and, and the world hasn't ended. So I, I think it just takes strong time management skills to get it done.
0: Okay, excellent advice. So if you could give one piece of advice to a new graduate coming into this field, what would it be?
1: Um, I think nowadays the technology is moving so fast. We've got new fuels coming out. Nobody's really sure of what what the next big fuel is going to be. I would would say a couple of things. One, don't vilify oil and gas. There's a a bit of a thing nowadays, you know, oil and gas is dirty fuel and everybody wants to transition away. And and I think we're moving in the right direction. At the same time, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. At the end of the day, the oil and gas industry, especially here in the Gulf of Mexico, is, is one of the, the cleanest burning, safest ways of procuring energy that there is. At the same time, we're we're making great strides here in, in the USA to develop offshore wind farms. Um, that, that's a new industry here. So for somebody new, I think, staying on top of the technology, keeping an open mind, and being able to learn new things quickly, learning how to get up to speed on a new concept or new ideas fast is, is really what's going to set you apart.
0: Okay. That's really good advice. So one final question. If you could turn back time, would you change anything?
1: No, not at all. I've, I, I did what I wanted to do. <laughs> you know, I sailed the seven seas. Again, I got, I got all the travel and adventure I could have hoped for which developed the skills and the experience that have, have taken me ashore now. And yeah, I've got no regrets.
0: No regrets at all? Zero. That's good to hear. Right.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's been a great industry.
0: It is a great industry. The energy sector is a great industry to work in, no matter what part you do working. I think so.
1: No, absolutely. There, there's tons of opportunity to, to do almost anything you could imagine here, whether you're in technology, whether you want to be in business or leadership or finance, operations, you want to be outside all day long. You you can do it all. You can make great money. You can you can write, have plenty of time with your family. Yeah, you can really have a fulfilling career.
0: Excellent advice. Yes, you can. And I do agree with that as well. So that's all the questions I have today. I would like to thank Sean for your time.
1: Thank you. A pleasure being here.
0: Thank you. It was actually excellent to meet you, Actually, Amazing knowledge. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening and see you next week. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd like to gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with another person. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or via my website, www.michellefraserconsultancy.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.